Welcome to Brainchild, a CanLearn Society podcast. This is a podcast that is dedicated to bringing you trustworthy information about topics related to child development, mental health, learning disabilities, ADHD, and autism. Join our host, registered psychologist Krista Forand, as she interviews knowledgeable researchers and clinicians to provide families with the most up-to-date information on child development and disorders. To stay connected, visit canlearnsociety.ca, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. If you have a specific topic that you would like to hear about on our podcast, please send your suggestions to brainchild at canlearnsociety.ca. CanLearn Society is a not-for-profit organization located in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We serve children, youth, and adults who have literacy, attention, and learning challenges. For more information about CanLearn, check out our website at canlearnsociety.ca. At CanLearn, we are dedicated to unlocking potential so all can learn. Hello everyone, my name is Krista Foran. I'm a registered psychologist at CanLearn Society in Calgary, Alberta, and I want to thank you so much for joining us for our fifth episode of the Brainchild podcast. We're excited today because I was able to have a conversation with Dr. Carly McMorris, who's one of the researchers uh, at the Awerko Center. And uh, if you haven't listened to other episodes, this series of podcasts is really great because um, we've been able to team up with the researchers at the Oworko Center to learn a bit more about the type of research that they're doing there, um, largely related to child development, disorders of childhood, parenting, and a bunch of other awesome stuff. Uh, Last episode was a really great episode. If you haven't checked it out, check that one out. It's with Dr. Sherry Madigan about screen time and electronics use. Um, this, this episode with Dr. McMorris, where we're going to focus on uh, autism, and we talk a bit about young adults' experience um, who have autism when they go to college or university, and we're also going to talk about some of her more current research that focuses on um, looking at the effectiveness and the impact of a particular program called Facing Your Fears, which is a 14-week group program for youth who have autism and their parents to learn um, different strategies for managing um, anxiety. So we're really excited to talk about that and um, the work that she's been doing with those families. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Dr. Carly McMorris. So we are here with Dr. Carly McMorris at the Oworko Center as part of our um, podcast series that we're doing with a lot of research at the, researchers at the Oworko Center. I'm so excited because we're going to talk about autism, which is one of my areas that 
I have quite a bit of interest in. So thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. McMorris. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Before we sort of talk about some of the specifics that I'm pretty excited to, to hear about with your research, maybe just give a bit of an overview of the types of things you've been doing over the years. Sure. So a lot of my research um, over the last couple of years has been focused on how to improve the mental health and well-being of children and adolescents with a variety of neurodevelopmental issues, including autism spectrum disorder. Um, I try to focus on how clinicians and educators and parents can help to improve that mental health Mm -hmm. and well-being. Um, And I do that by examining sort of three main parts of my research program. So really, what are the underlying risk factors for mental health um, issues in this population or in these individuals? How can we treat or intervene? And then also how we can prevent mental health Mm -hmm. from actually occurring. Cool, that's awesome. And we're going to talk a lot today about autism. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we get into your research about that, because we haven't talked a lot about autism in this podcast series, Mm -hmm. maybe let's chat a bit about what does that actually look like in the real world? I think a lot of people have a bit of idea of what what they think autism is, Mm -hmm. Um, but because it's a spectrum, there's quite a variability in how it presents in each person who has that diagnosis. For sure. Maybe just give some examples or what are the core features of this diagnosis? Yeah, so I think you bring up a really good point. So autism is considered a spectrum disorder, meaning that there's a range of both functioning levels as well as sort of levels of support that an individual might need um, related to two core deficits or or features. Mm So the first one is social communication difficulties, and that's really related to difficulties with peer and social relationships, expressive and receptive communication, so understanding um, communication, but also able to express their needs and wants. And so what that sort of looks like is um, avoiding eye contact in younger kiddos, um, preferring to be alone or play alone, difficulties with sort of expressing themselves both verbally through speech but also using some of those non-verbal gestures like pointing waving and those sorts of things that we'd see in younger kiddos Mm -hmm. as well as following directions when kids get older what we see sometimes is difficulties with engaging in back and forth conversation um, being able to have appropriate social relationships and those sorts of things right The second core feature is really around repetitive and restrictive behaviors and interests. Um, So the first part around behaviors is is that individuals with autism sometimes will engage in a behavior over and over and over again. Um, So that could look like flapping or Mm. spinning or those sorts of things. Um, It also can be related to restricted um, or repetitive interests. So a lot of kids will have really specific interests that they like to do over and over and over again. Um, And the last piece that a lot of individuals uh, can experience is difficulties with change um, or difficulties with changes in their routine. So really specific about um, going a certain way to work or being able Mm -hmm. to sort of um, engage in a special interest and all those sorts of things are really part of that core feature. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, you did some work with autism, actually individuals in post-secondary, so young adults primarily. Um, we're going to talk a bit about more of the mental health concerns in a bit with youth who have autism, mm-hmm. but maybe let's chat a bit about your work in, 
in um, the post-secondary environment with adults who are on the spectrum? Yeah, so this was work that came um, out of York University when I was there uh, completing my PhD. Um, And myself and my supervisor at the time recognized that university students with autism really needed more supports than what's typically available at the university. And so um, they needed supports outside of those academic supports that are usually offered, like academic accommodations or that kind of stuff. They really needed more of a wraparound service, which universities don't typically offer. (laughs) And so recognizing that need, What we did is we started what's called the peer mentoring program. So it's called um, the Autism Mentorship Program or the AMP for short. Um, And really it was for university students with autism who self-identified and said, um, you know, I've got autism. And what we did is we paired um, these students with graduate mentors Mm -hmm. who provided one-to-one support for the individual on a weekly or bi-weekly sort of schedule and they talked about a whole bunch of things Mm. so uh, university is quite a scary place for um, people with and without autism (laughs) most people right Um, and so navigating that system is really challenging and so mentors would sort of support students to really navigate you know where your classroom is and this is who you go to get supports but they'd also talk about things like peer relationships Mm. or romantic relationships mental health concerns came up a lot really basic things around independence and living in residence. Um, So those were things that they really problem solved a lot around. Um, And we also offered monthly social events where students could come together and sort of feel part of or included in the university Mm -hmm. setting. So the AMP's been going on for about eight years, and over time, we've seen about a 100% increase per year in terms of student involvement. So it has been unbelievable how many students have actually been needing this support. Um, And it's a program that we're adapting a bit um, and implementing here at the University of Calgary. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think that was interesting was the idea that yeah, like you said, um, post-secondary institutions will provide academic support. Yes. So there might be workshops for, you know, test taking or how to write a paper or yep. um, how to study, things like that. But there's not a lot around sort of the practical skills that are required to navigate everyday life when you're at university or college. Absolutely. And those are the deficits that people have when they're on the spectrum. Yes. So. Um, just the ability to interact with somebody to mm-hmm. get something that you need or yes. to know what kind of behavior may be inappropriate in certain situations and things like that. Um, it, it certainly makes sense. And I think it was interesting when I read in one of your papers that of the individuals who do go to, um, of the individuals with autism who go to post-secondary, only 39% are likely to graduate. Yes. And my, my, my hunch is that it's because they really do struggle with the social aspect of going to university, um, many of them are quite bright and are able to handle the academic piece of it, maybe not organizing and getting things done and and, um, managing time, because that's part of the executive function piece, but the content is not too difficult or things like that. Like they, They have an understanding. It's just the other sort of peripheral aspects that would make university, I would say, close to impossible so I know it's hard for anyone really yes going from a high school situation where you're highly supported you're living with parents yes. typically and now you're sort of on your own having to sort out a lot of things yeah absolutely so that's a really 
good program and it's it's good to know that over the years there was more people taking advantage of it which tells me that it's highly needed yeah (laughs) absolutely um when you did the research on that there was sort of a discussion about barriers to access of service or you know so what is it that individuals with autism are having trouble accessing or using services Mm -hmm. when they're at university or college? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I think we're still sort of trying to figure out the larger picture. But Mm. from what we understand from our students who were enrolled in the AMP is is that, um, and other research that's happened down in the States, for instance, is is that um, navigating and advocating are huge parts that are somewhat missing and are barriers, right? right? So you have to self-identify, you need to find the right people to say, hey, I need help. You need to know what you're looking for and what you need, (laughs) and then you have to be able to execute. So some of our students would say things like, I'm supposed to be at the counseling center every week, but I don't actually know how I'm supposed to book that appointment. Right. Right. Um, and so those really basics around um, that we take for granted sometimes right. that are just easy pieces, like planning, like you said, with the executive yeah. function, is a huge barrier for students. Yep. Another barrier is the sensory environment. Hmm. And so that's not necessarily a barrier to access, but it's something that really impacts their ability to just be within the environment. Yes. Um, so it's loud. There's a lot of things happening and changes are happening. Right. Um, so some students would say... I'm pointing at the fluorescent lights <laughs> yes, in this room. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All the lights. You can't see me pointing at them, but... Yes. <laughs> lights, noises, noises, sound. Yeah. And crowds. And crowds. <laughs> and the things like changes in just where you sit in university, right? right? You don't have a designated spot. All those things can be really challenging. And I think from what we, from the paper that we wrote, really um, a lot of students and individuals who are in university with autism are accessing some services. Mm -hmm. So they're seeing their GP maybe or their general um, physician, but they're wanting more and needing more for things like mental health, for things like uh, independence and adaptive living skills. So students express that, yeah, you know, I have somewhat what I need, but I need more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one thing um, that I talk to families that I work with is sort of how do we, when the kids are younger, how do we look towards 18 and beyond and what kind of skills do we need to sort of slowly help those youth learn so that they can have the greatest degree of independence, whatever that is for for that child, for that family. Um, Sometimes that can be um, overwhelming and then to sort of send off yeah. to post-secondary sometimes in a different city or you know things like that that can be really tough for um, the family and, and the individual as well absolutely um what sort of suggestions can you make maybe to parents mm-hmm. who have young adults or teens who are going to be going to post-secondary or even the young adults themselves what do you, for post-secondary? Yeah, so there's been some really nice research coming out of the states looking at basically asking university students and their families what they need transitioning mm-hmm. into to university. And what's been highlighted over and over again is that there's not one fit all sort of approach, right? right? Not one size fit all fits yeah. all. And so really this individualized approach is super important. And not only is that important, but the individual themselves needs to be sort of leading that. Mm. Not necessarily that they're sort of planning it, but they are saying this is what has worked for me in high right. school. 
this is how I would see this happening or this is the supports I need and that they're very involved in that transition piece and so including the individual themselves and planning that transition is really important Um, and then also making sure that you're starting to plan early yes so there's a lot of great work that um, I think has happened at York and potentially might be happening Mm -hmm. at the university where you start giving sort of tours around what the university looks like in the summer. Um, Maybe you look at the residency early on, um, look at each of the classrooms, like taking advantage of some of those orientation weeks is really, really helpful. Um, For students themselves, I would really sort of suggest that seek out supports wherever you can. Mm. And also sort of highlighting that everyone is in the same boat in the sense that university is a scary situation and it's stressful. um, And so that they're not alone um, and that there are some supports that can be really helpful. You just need to sort of advocate and put up your hand to say, I need something. Yeah. And that also reminds me that um, every year the... Um, a handful of the institutions here in Calgary put on a transition event. Usually it's in February. Mm-hmm. Um, they hold it sometimes at different places, so I won't say where because I don't know where the next one will be. But usually um, high school guidance counselors will know about that. Or you can check the CanLearn website. We will often let people know when that's happening. And I've been to quite a number of them in the past few years. And what's awesome about that event is they have... Um, not only people sort of saying, here's what you need to know about going to post-secondary, but they actually have student a student panel speak about their um, experience in post-secondary with a disability. Mm-hmm. And it could be anything like ADHD, learning disability, autism. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily know what their disability is, but they sort of talk about some of the accommodations they're able to receive, maybe some of the social supports they can get, yeah. the things that maybe were surprising to them and they had to sort of rethink um, things that didn't go so well, things that are going really well. So it's kind of great to hear from the students themselves. So anyone who's listening, keep your eye out for that and you can check the CanLearn website. Um, Usually by December, January, we have that up. Um, So that was a good one that I can recommend. Yes, that's wonderful. (laughs) Um, The other aspect of your research that I'm pretty excited to hear about is... Um, doing specific uh, group sort of intervention with youth who are on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Is it specifically around anxiety or mm-hmm. a little bit more broad? Let me let me know about that. Yeah, so what we know is that um, children and youth and adolescents and adults with autism um, are at a heightened risk for experiencing mental health issues. So the stats are quite broad in terms Mm. of the prevalence of those mental health issues or how often that happens, but some studies suggest as many as 70% of individuals with autism will experience anxiety, which is quite um, a large number. And so a lot of our work is sort of just actually raising awareness that this is the norm rather than the exception. Um, And so, but the sort of positive piece or the piece that I really like to highlight is, is that there are interventions that are are really, really effective for mm-hmm. individuals with autism who experience mental health concerns. So um, one of the programs that we run in partnership with a number of people across the city, with AHS, 
us with mm. different community partners, different school boards, is called Facing Your Fears. Mm. Um, and it's a cognitive behavioral therapy ap- um, approach, meaning that it focuses on thoughts and behaviors and, and um, changing sort of how we feel about a situation, how we change the way we think about a, a situation can really change our behavior, essentially. Right. Um, and so Facing Your Fears is sort of a CBT program for parents and kids mm-hmm. um, that participate. It's a 14-week um, group with a booster session. Um, so it's 15 weeks plus that booster session. Mm-hmm. Or 14 weeks plus that booster session <laughs> um, for individuals with autism between the ages of 8 and 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a program that was started down in the States by Judy Reven and okay. um, has been, uh, it's been started in Calgary since... Um, I think for the last two years we've been running it. Awesome. So. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give some examples, like what specifically they might the the families might be doing in that program, yeah. or how does it work? Yeah. So the program is actually evidence based, so it's okay. been studied quite extensively in terms of how effective it is. Yeah. Um, so there's a number of different aspects that I would say are have been effective in reducing anxiety, mm-hmm. and it's very similar to what we see other CBT or cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy approaches being in kids without autism. So you focus on helpful thoughts or strategies mm-hmm. to change the way we think about a situation. Yeah. We practice how um, to utilize different coping strategies like deep breathing, um, creating helpful thoughts, different yeah. sort of de-stressing of our bodies, um, and then also sort of practicing facing our fears. Right. So <laughs> being exposed to some of those things that we're scared of in a very sort of structured way yes. and practicing how we can incorporate those coping skills. Now, parents are also participating in the group, and we see them as being huge, um, sort of, they're really important part of this yes. process <laughs> because they can act as both coaches and, yeah. and supporters of their kids being able to face their fears. So um, that's sort of some of the pieces that we do throughout the group. Um, cool. There's lots of also fun games and all that good yeah. stuff, too. Keep yeah, keep it fun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I know there was sort of, we had chatted earlier about cognitive behavioral therapy questions around whether that can be helpful Mm -hmm. with um, kids youth on the spectrum what are you sort of noticing as far as um, that the children the youth being able to take some of those approaches and and actually create some success in their life We've actually seen huge improvement, I would say. So we've run, over the last two years, we've run um, five, almost six groups. Awesome. Um, and what we've noticed in those groups is, is that there's been a significant reduction in anxiety. Mm-hmm. But what we've also seen is that there's sort of this cascading effect um, on parents' own mental health yeah. and quality of life and stress. Yes. And also teachers are recognizing that this mm-hmm. reduction in anxiety is actually improving kids' attendance at school, their yes. engagement in the sc- in school and their own ability to just deal with stressful situations right because a lot of what kids with um, autism their anxiety or their worries are related to is social situations at yeah. school yeah so we've seen lots of improvements and just really fantastic anecdotes about um, large changes that mm-hmm. have improved families quality of life and also just sort of when I when I sort of conceptualize anxiety I, I talk to clients about how if it's really affecting you, it, it sort of shrinks your life because there's a lot of avoidance yes. of the things that are um, uncomfortable or scary or fearful. And so I would assume then that something like this program would help to sort of keep keep things open and open things up that something that a child wasn't doing because of fear or worry 
they're now giving it a try right. and saying, yeah, I can do this. Absolutely. So we um, teach a lot of different strategies. And like I said, we practice sort of within yeah. session around facing those fears. But by no means are we saying that we're going to completely, you know, no. eliminate anxiety. <laughs> but what's great to see is we bring families back about six months after they've participated uh. in the group. And we're seeing that families have been able to really implement mm-hmm. those strategies to other fears that have come up over, you know, the last six months or that weren't addressed in group. And so that's the part that we like to see is, is that there's still this improvement even six months later. Right. Yeah. And then maybe there's things that the family can decide, okay, now let's try and work on this. Exactly. Piece by piece. We don't have to make drastic, huge changes, but we can do little things that are meaningful. Yeah. And... I would assume then, you know, that there's uh, a growth of self-confidence with these kids around saying, you know what, I know I, you know, wasn't able to do that and now I am. Yes. Maybe I can also try this, even though it's scary. Absolutely. Yeah. And what's even, um, I think, even a fantastic part of the program as well is, is that these, um, the members of the group actually become friends and supports. Mm-hmm. And so parents continue to stay in touch yeah. and the kids themselves, you know, go out to movies or right. paintball or whatever it is. Yeah. And so that social component, um, is also another added bonus. That's awesome. Yeah. Is this program available right now for families? Can, if there's a, you know, a parent who's listening and says, well, I want my kid to participate. Yes. And is that available and where would they find that? Absolutely. So right now the program um, is being run out of the Orco Center. So mm. here by myself. Um, but we have, like I said, in partnership with a number of different agencies, been able to sort of um, run it in other community centers like Society okay. for Train of Autism. Um, but if families are interested, they should yeah. contact me in particular. Perfect. Um, and we can go through the screening process. Yeah. So I will um, include the contact and the information in the notes for the podcast and if anyone's interested they can contact you to get involved yes and that would also be that they would be a part of the research that's kind of ongoing with that program absolutely that's awesome yeah cool yeah that would be great well thank you so much dr mcmorris for everything that you've shared today it was really exciting to talk about autism yeah thanks for having me yes thank you very much listening to Brainchild. This podcast episode was brought to you by support from the Oworko Center. The Oworko Center at the Alberta Children's Hospital Research Institute is dedicated to studying neurodevelopmental disorders and child mental health. The center draws its support from a large group of multidisciplinary researchers across the University of Calgary with expertise encompassing a broad range of neurodevelopmental and pediatric mental health research. For more information about the Awerko Center, visit researchforkids.ucalgary.ca. To stay connected to Brainchild, visit canlearnsociety.ca, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. If you have a specific topic that you would like to hear about on our podcast, please send your suggestions to brainchild at canlearnsociety.ca. CanLearn Society is a not-for-profit organization located in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We serve children, youth, and adults who have literacy, attention, and learning challenges. For more information about CanLearn, check out our website at canlearnsociety.ca. At CanLearn, we are dedicated to unlocking potential so all can learn.